Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Fishing for Men with Mac show. Hi, ladies and gentlemen. It is great to have your ear for the show. Uh, for those of you who have been walking with me on this podcast journey, um, thank you for for listening. I hope that you have heard some things that have been a blessing to your life. If you've been here from the beginning, then you will know that the key reason for this podcast is to to equip people out there who are trying to make disciples, trying to reach people, um, to to gain the necessary information and the ideas to answer the big questions that people have about faith. It is also a podcast that will um, inspire people who are struggling to believe in the concept of God to um, to start reconsidering their view. And I hope that that has helped with with some of you that are listening. But also, it's also a podcast in which I was hoping to share some of the stories um, about people that I personally meet, um, people that come across my path, people that... I find very interesting and the the ideas that people have. And so this podcast for today, this episode is going to be a little bit different because it's a a sort of an interview and and a sort of a dialogue at moments between me and somebody that I've met recently. And I I thought to just share it with you because um, this man's testimony is is very interesting. And um, if you think that you've had a hard life, then um, think again, because you're going to hear some things today that will um, probably be far worse than you've imagined your life. So a few weeks ago, uh, some disciples of Jesus is out in Peter Marisburg when Pete and Tony Cathy, they, uh, they basically approached me and said, look, there's this lady um, staying on their property with her husband or with her boyfriend, and she is, is she's just struggling with some personal things. Would I be willing to go and meet with her? And I'm always willing for things like that because I'd like to share the gospel with um, whoever I meet and, and make disciples. And so if God opens the door for somebody to talk to me and me to talk to that person, then I'm all, all for it. And they, they said to me, look, she's com- she comes from a Christian background. And in, in my mind, I know already that doesn't really mean anything. Uh, I meet lots of people who are Christians but are not disciples of Jesus. So I said, that's great. I could go meet her. Hopefully I can be a blessing to her. So me and Alfreda went to go meet her. And then they also told us, look, her her, her boyfriend or her partner, um, he's an Irish guy and he's he, he doesn't really seem to be interested in God or religion and, and things like that. So, you know, you're probably not going to, you know, make an influence or make an, have an impact on him. But I'm sure that he would like her to have some help. So we went to the house with the idea that, uh, we're going to help her and the gentleman there is probably not going to be interested in talking to us. Um, but in any ways, uh, he's probably just thinking that we are there to be a blessing and to help his wife. And that's generally how it is out there. I mean, generally, men are quite, quite prideful and men will never, will not easily acknowledge that they need some spiritual or emotional guidance. Uh, it's generally the ladies that would acknowledge that. Any case, so we went in with that mindset. Anyways, lo and behold, um, three weeks went by. We went to go see um, this lady quite a few times, and on the third meeting there, Tim uh, is is the the boyfriend, the partner. He came and he just sat in the conversation, and then we started forging a relationship with him. We invited them over to our India discipleship meal thing and there were three people baptized there and so they came to that they spent some time with my my parents and then you know a relationship started to be forged with Tim anyways 
long story short, at one point, the next week, we went to go visit them and, and the situation just developed in such a way that, that, we had, that I had a private conversation with Tim and he just told me that God has been knocking on his door and that he's, he's getting to a position where he wants to know Christ more, that he wants to get his spiritual life on track. And he started telling me about his life. And as you will hear today, uh, this man has had a life that is really, really different. And so I decided, well, I asked him if he would uh, be willing for me to interview him on a podcast. And so I've done that. My voice is not as good because he's sitting by the microphone, but he's, he's basically sharing his life and sharing his current view of God. So if you're sitting, you're listening to this and, and you've, you've had a tough life, I want you to listen to him. If you've, if you've engaged with sin that you feel shameful, I want you to listen to him. Here's, here's a person that is not perfect and he acknowledges that. Here's a person that hasn't had a perfect life, but he's giving God a chance. And he's in progress. He's working on this and he's been willing to open up his life to us and share with us his story. It's, it's going to be a slightly bigger or longer episode. And I was thinking about a, a verse to read to you that, that Paul wrote to Timothy that, you know, is very close. You know, it's the first verse I thought about when I spoke to Tim and Tim told me about his life. This is it. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst and as you'll hear today in this episode you will hear Tim speak about his sin you'll hear him speak about his life you'll hear about the cards that has been dealt his way things that were outside of his control and you will hear in the end how he is trying to embrace God and I want to ask you to continually pray for him pray for his lady they are hopefully getting married soon and they are, they are trying to to take God seriously and, and just walk a road with him and yeah, may it be a blessing to you. God bless you. This is all from me. I'm giving over to the dialogue that I had with Tim. Cheers, guys. Love you. Bye. Okay, so Tim, it is it is absolutely wonderful to have you. And um, I just want to ask you if you could just like um, tell us about your life, you know, where you come from, when you were born and the main events of your life. Yeah, Michael, thanks for having me. Um, born in 1968. Uh, in Ireland and uh, our family came through from there to South Africa uh, where things got a bit difficult so we ended up where we were in a children's home uh, it was four brothers um, so it was myself and three others and yeah I don't have a lot of recollection with the with the children's home but uh, yeah it, it turned out to be where we were all separated and basically went our own ways. Um, so I ended up getting adopted by the Sturks. Uh, that was probably at the age of around about two, three. And not having known that that kind of thing was happening. Um, you know, you sort of generally sort of think, okay, well, this is your life. And I grew up with them, went to primary school, and then figured out at the age of nine that I wasn't adopt well i was adopted by the stokes which was a big surprise because they kept on telling me that i was their child and you know that was a bit of a shock you know for a nine-year-old to go through that is like what what's just happened you know and yeah i i tend i i rebelled from there 
um, I didn't accept it. So I ended up running away from home and spending a lot of time on the street uh, because I wanted to find my real family. And yeah, that was that was a hard that was a hard one because you know you didn't know where you were going, you didn't have any idea on what life was all about. I mean, here you are, a nine-year-old kid on the street. Um, but I survived, uh, got through that, and uh, eventually I sort of put myself through a bit of schooling. Uh, managed to get my uh, education, which was not a lot, but I managed my standard six. And, um, and then I was drafted into the military, uh, which was actually probably one of the best times I had because the military sort of instilled a bit of, I don't know, common sense and reality as well because um, you had to deal with people. And then, of course, there was the discipline, which I'd never had in my life. So, yeah, that was, I enjoyed that. Um, I spent two and a half years in the army and, yeah, it was it was rough at the beginning because you I was one of the smallest guys, so kept on getting picked on. But uh, eventually, you stand up for yourself. And then when I left the the military, I uh, was basically back on the street again. Uh, so I had to fend for myself. So the first thing I had to do was to look for a place to stay, and then it was working. And I basically found my first job was at a shoe shop. Uh, I was employed there at two rand a week, um, <laughs> putting glue on soles of shoes, you know. Um, so that was that was my first experience with, with working life. And then basically built myself up from there. Um, I got to the age of, what, about 22, 23. And yeah, life became a lot more harder. Uh, things weren't the way I wanted them to be. I wasn't getting the work that I needed to get, so money was tight. So, yeah, I was still basically living on the street all this time. So even working, I was basically sleeping in doorways and my bed was a cardboard box for many years. Um, and then things started happening. I started meeting people um, and then I met a friend of mine who is now a long-standing friend, and he was actually living in a, in a halfway house. And he said to me, well, it's not really legal, but you can come and sleep under my bed. So I snuck in every night, and he eventually came up to me and he said, well, there's a, there's a job opportunity going. And uh, I took it. And that was, yeah, that I worked at that job for about two years. Um, it was in a pub. I was working as a, as a barman. And um, got to that stage where things were a little bit better. I could afford to pay a bit of rent and have a bit of food, which was good. But the alcohol kicked in. So I'm working in this alcoholic environment. And, you know, I don't think it was willing. But, yeah, I tended, I got to the stage where I now started drinking a hell of a lot. I was smoking a lot of pot and, and really sort of just, I don't know, living a life that was sort of surreal because now you're making money, you're working, and you weren't really thinking of life itself. So, yeah, I used to spend a lot of my money on, on the alcohol and not have for food, which is, you know, until eventually uh, a friend of mine that I met while I was at the pub came up to me and he said to me, you're not going to reach 21 if you get like this. 
So a change was needed and uh, I decided to go back to the flat and I basically threw all the alcohol away and I went to a map on the wall and I just put my finger on the nearest place, which is the lowest place. And uh, I hitchhiked down. Um, that was also a bad start because I got uh, mugged on the way. Um, I was left totally stock naked on, on the side of the highway after being mugged by four guys with knives. But I eventually made it back down to Marysburg and um, there was a friend of mine that uh, put me up for a couple of days and he said to me, well, there's a job going at uh, Spa. So it was, yeah, Jonathan Spa in Marysburg. So I took that and uh, met some interesting people there, including my wife, Lee. Uh, we eventually got together and had a good time and we were sort of serious about each other. So we went to court, got married. And uh, we had a kid, uh, Jamie, and yeah, life was good for the first two months until I woke up one morning and found that she'd gone. So, you know, that was a bit of a shocker for me. And that's, that was where a lot of my life spiraled into a real dark place. It got bad. I started drinking. I went back onto the drugs, um, self-mutilating. Uh, ended up actually as a patient in town here. Um, yeah, so it was a it was a long hard struggle, um, and I didn't sort of believe in anything then. Just just a quick question: um, you, Downhill is is that a mental hospital? Yes, it's a mental institution. Okay. Um, yeah. Which is funny because I ended up working there as a as a staff. But yeah, it was it was hard, and I was going through therapy, which I didn't feel was working. Um, because of the fact that I just felt that everything was life itself was useless and I wasn't I wasn't worth it you know so cutting myself was actually a way of releasing my pain not keeping it in um, yeah. you know so some people would drink to get rid of their pain and think I used the razor blade sure um, which was quite scary because as time got on the cuts got deeper and that's when I had to actually sit down and do some serious soul searching and go what do you want to do with life? And it was a, it was difficult because again I was back on the street. I'd lost everything. Um, just a, just a quick question. So if you 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 cut yourself deeper because you wanna you wanna feel more pain, so it means that the cutting yourself didn't really work because the pain got worse in your your emotional pain and stuff. Yes and no. Um, because of the fact that you were in emotional pain you you wanted that pain to stop so you cut yourself to feel a different pain mm. so it sort of took your mind off the emotional pain you're feeling and because the emotional pain got that deep is the reason why you cut yourself deeper because you wanted more hurt on your on your physical self than in your mind and yeah it's oh, i spent numerous times in and out of hospitals um, because of this and uh, of course that was added by the alcohol and the, and the, the zol as well um, so you didn't really feel it because of that so you numbed yourself and you cut yourself and then you sort of get through it and then you look at yourself and go well why did i do that you know because you're still feeling that same pain so eventually like i said i had to do some soul searching and and say to myself well you can either go this way or you can change and after being in Townhill as a patient and being told that I would never be able to re-enter into society as a normal person, um, 
that was when the penny dropped and I decided, yeah, you know what, Mm-mm, this isn't me. I'm going to show people that I'm not that person. And yeah, I got out of Town Hill. Um, it was a bit of a difficult time. I was sleeping in, a, in, in Alexander Park. And sitting there, I, I decided, you know what? Things need to change. And if they're going to change, they're going to change. So I was actually plotting on how to move my life forward and get a job. And I'd stopped the drinking um, purely because of the fact that I didn't have the money to do it anyway. Um, and I was sitting the one night in, in the park and I was actually having a, a, a smoke. And on the other side, this was actually a park where people were picked up. So there was gay sex going on. And and this guy came up and he was like, okay, you know, can, can I help you? And he knew I was rough. But every night he came to my place, or to my bench, would I say. And he would bring some food and he'd bring some cigarettes and things. Until eventually he said to me, okay, I can let you sleep in my garage. And I said to him, okay. And I thought, well, I know what's happening here. There's got to be an exchange of some sort. Um, Anyway, he said, well, look, the only expectation I've got of you is that you get a job because you're not staying in my place for free. And yeah, so I took him up on his offer. Um, Yeah, there was encouragement for sexual activity, which at that time, because of my situation, I thought, well, I sort of owe you that because of, you know, so the whole ideology was actually wrong. But because of who he was, I actually fell in love with him. And, you know, he was he was a decent person. And he stuck to his word. He gave me a place to stay and I could eat. And, you know, and he said to me, okay, you want to get a job? That's fine. So I went down to the library every day and searched through the papers. Um to have a look for jobs and I went for a countless number of interviews and I got a few jobs which were good. Uh, I started off as a, there was an amusement center in Long Market Street, so pool tables and video games and stuff like that and I was the manager there and that was okay but it wasn't a big paying job. So while I was there, I was looking for other things and then eventually uh, Eddie came up to me and he said to me, there's a, a position in a restaurant. Well, I don't really know much about cooking and stuff like that, but okay, fine. And I went down and um, yeah, I met Chris who gave me a job and uh, two and a half years later, I qualified as a chef and uh, it was good. It was good fun, but the hours were long and yeah, it basically sort of messed with your life because I was at work at like half past three in the morning and I was leaving at half past one the following morning. So it was a long, long, long days and long hours. And then eventually Town Hill came up. Uh, they were looking for cleaners. And I eventually got a job at Town Hill as a, as a domestic worker. Um, and when I got this job, there was almost like there was this change in the atmosphere. And something said to me, no, stick at this. Because I'd been in and out of jobs. I if I didn't like a job, I'd walk out. Um, but something said to me, no, this is where you need to be. Um, and I did. I stuck it out for 17 years. Uh, enjoyed every minute of it. And, you know, I've always been somebody that likes to help people. So this was my, almost like my calling. 
and uh, eventually went from cleaner to what they call a clinical orderly, which helps nursing staff with the, with the patients. Worked at that for five, you know, five, six years. And then uh, I went to admin. So I did some admin work as well. And then from there, I ended up as a driver. And then eventually what had happened was I got infected with HIV, which put me on a bad place. And I started getting ill, so I couldn't work. So I was medically boarded from town health. Uh, which was not a, a good thing or a bad thing. It was just one of those things that happened, which I dealt with. And then I opened a business. Uh, I started Scrap Metal. did Scrap Metal for a long time. And then I did uh, pool servicing. I did... Um, I started HN Solutions, which was wheelchairs and uh, walkers. Because I've always been that kind of person that wants to help you. Um, not always been in the right position, but yeah, um, it's been a joy of mine just to see a smile on her face. And yeah, so basically, it's it's been a it's it's been a difficult life, and I'm still sort of battling at the moment, but I'm a lot happier. So it's it's like you have. Let's just think about all the things that that you've been. You've you've. You've been a, a street bum, hmm. in a sense. Uh, uh, you've been an orphan. Yeah. You've been a soldier. Yeah. And you haven't told us about it, but you have told me before. You you you've been a clown. Yes. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I forgot about that one. Yeah. Two and a half years at Basel Walkie Circus, which was which was good fun. Um, I basically joined that because there was an opportunity going, but. You've always heard of these kids that say they want to run away to the circus. Um, I never ran away to the circus. I got the option to go there, which was which was good fun. And yeah, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it because it was just you could play the fool and get paid for it. Yeah. You know, so it was it was good fun. Two and a half years of that. Um, it was hard work though. Uh, I used to run ten k's a day, and I was doing I think it was sixteen, fifteen or sixteen acts in a show. Yeah. And that was three shows a day, so it was it was exhausting work, but it was good fun. So, so you you were a clown, you were a husband, yeah. Then you had a wife that ran away from you, yeah. And you got a you got a kid that you've never met, yeah. But you're in contact with her in, in, in yes, Australia. In, right? She's in New Zealand. In New Zealand, yeah. you've had um, both heterosexual and homosexual relationships. Correct. You've worked in a malaise. Yeah. You've been in a malaise. Yeah, I've been a patient and yeah. ended up working in the same malaise. I was a patient. You've you, you've done your drugs. You've done the alcohol. You've you've done um, self injurious behavior. You've, mm. you've cut yourself. Um, you've got this uh, this this full this full life of experiences. And the big question because of the show that I have for you is is how did God feature throughout your life? What's your experience been with God? I think that was a difficult time because when the hard times hit, I, let me go back a bit because when I was adopted, I was actually in the Catholic Church. And so I'd, I'd got to know what faith was all about, or so I thought. Um, and so I joined uh, the Catholic Church and became an altar boy and, did all the right things, go to church on Sundays and things, but it didn't really mean much to me. 
it was just another activity. So during my life with those struggles, I blamed God for a lot of this stuff. I was angry. I was I was really sort of belligerent about my life and who was controlling it. And I felt that he was at fault for or to blame for everything that happened. Um, so, yeah, it was to a point where I didn't believe it all. Um, but at the same time, there was something that was constantly in the back of my mind that there was something there. But I wasn't picking it up. So I just turned around and said, oh, well, the universal supply or whatever the case may be. But it wasn't a belief. And it wasn't a trust. Because I thought to myself, my life is, is basically, I'm not worthy of any of this. And that's why my life has gone the way it has. So I must be an extremely evil or unworthy person. Because if God did exist, then he wouldn't have put me through all that. Yeah. So I had a lot of sort of questions and theories for I mean I went into churches and tried to ask questions and I was I was basically chased out because the questions that I asked didn't come from a believer uh -huh. so the first thing I would I would be asked is do you believe in God and I say well I'm actually here to ask you about him because I don't believe in him but I want to know what's happening in my life so I was then I was told all sorts of things I was told I was Satan I was chased out of churches um, and I was told by somebody just to have faith. And he said to me, you've just got to have faith that things will come right. And I said to him, faith in what? Faith in who? And he couldn't answer that. So, yeah, it's been a, it's been a turmoil and a difficult life as far as religion is concerned because it's been a very, been a very confusing time. And you've, you've also seen a lot of hypocrisy, Christian yes. hypocrisy. And... It's, it, funnily enough, I, yeah, I tend to look at things a little bit deeper than others. And when I looked at religion as such, um, or in the churches, you see a lot of stuff that doesn't make sense. Because at the end of the day, when you finish with a church sermon, nobody would ask or talk about the sermon. They'd be talking about so-and-so's clothing, or this guy's new BMW, or... And that to me doesn't, if I go to something like that, it's like going to a rock concert. You're not going to come out and talk about the woman's dress next to you. You're going to talk about the music. You're going to talk about how you felt. And this wasn't happening. And then I thought to myself, well, then this obviously isn't working for, for these guys either. And when you see those guys in their everyday life, they're smoking, they're drinking, they're swearing, they're beating their wives. And you think to yourself, well, what am I doing? What, what is there to believe in? So I was fed a lot of, I would say, I don't know whether you could call it false, but I think incorrect information. And that's why my struggle just, it wasn't, there wasn't a belief there because I just saw everything that was negative. Hmm. And I think also because I was negative as well. I wasn't trying to see further than what I saw, which was the scary part. And um, so, in the last in the last few weeks, how has your view um, of God changed, or, or what has happened in your life? How do you feel about God now? I think if I go back a little bit further than a few weeks, I think since I moved into Pitt and Kathy's place, which was a godsend anyway, um, because we were in that time we were 
things are up in the air and this this happened to us which was was good and it got me to a place where I knew that I was settled when we got there there was something about that place that just relaxed you so we were lucky that we got it and, and that nobody had actually got it before us and when when we when we secured it I said to Debs I said this is just the place for us but I still didn't I, did, I knew that there was something missing and in the time I've met some extremely decent people. I've been put in situations that are extremely hard, but have changed me because I'm not looking at them in a bad way. And when I spoke to you uh, about, what was it, a week, week and a half ago, mm. it was as if God had knocked me on the top of the head and said, hey, you know what? This is where you're supposed to be. This is why I've put you through all this, you know. Um, and it's sort of, I, I, I was, I was fighting it because I said, no, this can't be, this just can't happen after all this drama that's happened in my life. Mm -hmm. Things can't just turn on their head and go, okay, well, here you are, but it has. Mm -hmm. And like I said to you before, it's a, that tingling feeling that I get mm -hmm. because I've suddenly realized that God does exist and that. Everything that has happened to me has been for a purpose. And whether that purpose is to get to where I am now, hmm. if that's what it is, then I'm quite happy with the result because I've now got to learn. I still have a lot of learning to do, but I'm getting to learn that A, God exists, hmm. and B, He's been there all the time. Yeah. Because if I look back and I go, all those situations where I was sleeping on the beach and when I was in the military and stuff like that, he was there next to me. He was protecting me. He was carrying me through all that stuff without me knowing it. You could have been dead long time back. I mean, ten times over. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah, I mean, I'm surprised I'm still alive now. But it was his will, and God has just basically, for me, over the last three or four days, I've really sort of looked at it and gone, I'm trying to analyze what's happened, and I look at it and go. This is where he's wanted you to be. But he's put you through those tests to see how you deal with them. And although there's, there's, a, there's a split there as if to say, well, you know, he's a bit cruel there because that was a hell of a test to put somebody through. But at the same time, you go, no, there's a reason for it. Mm. And the reason is because he's still got a purpose for me. Yeah. You, you mean something. Yeah. And like, that's, the, that's the big thing, is that now all of a sudden, I'm not just this useless drunk or, you know, person sleeping on the side. I'm actually this God-created human being that he's... He values. Yeah. yeah. You know, and that's amazing. So, so Tim, you, you gave me a few things to talk about, uh, well, to uh, start studying and talking about on this, this journey. And um, I thought I'd just share it with the listeners because it's quite cool stuff. Yeah. The, the one question that you asked that you'd like to talk about is why is God good to me if I haven't been good? Yeah, that has been a, a question because, you know, I look back at my life and, yeah, I, I suppose that I've done things that people would consider good, but I don't feel good because I don't feel that what I did was actually good in such a way. Yeah. And that confused me because at the end of the day, Looking back in my life, I think to myself, how can God actually love me when I've lived that life? Mm. 
So that's an interesting question in itself. Yeah. So you, you you've got a you you experiencing a profound sense of grace that God would um, overlook your offenses and love you. Yeah. Either either way. And um, yeah, and it's powerful because it's that feeling that you get that you've now you somebody you 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 his child. Yeah. You know. He knows your name. Yes, and that's the whole thing. It's the first time he's actually called you by your name. It's like that, so it's. I suppose, yeah, if you want to put it that way, and it's, and all of a sudden now you're suddenly seeing that you you have a father, mm. and for me that's actually more powerful because I never had a father in my life, yeah, and it's taken me all this time to suddenly realize that my father's been there all the time, yeah, which is there's a there's a song that says um, though your mother and father forsake you I never will, yeah, and that's powerful, yeah, and I've realized that now. The other, the other question that you asked, and we briefly spoke about it, is how can God be real if His supposed people are so bad? Um, yeah, I, that's... Isn't yeah. that a question that you had? Because you saw yes. these Christians and you asked, well, clearly it doesn't seem like Christ works for you. Why should I become a Christian? Yeah. Be, well, a lot of the stuff that I saw was, was very misleading. Um, and I looked at it because of the fact that I felt He wasn't working for me either. Mm. And I looked at it and go, yeah, that's why that question came up because it's just it's weird. Mm. So, yeah, I, you know, how do you how do you explain that? Yeah, yeah, it's difficult. Yeah. You know. Then the the third question was, um, why would God let His son die for someone like me? That is a yeah, that is a, a very interesting one because, and after you explained it to me. Uh, it made more sense, but to actually let somebody die for somebody's sins or for somebody's bad doings or whatever is totally beyond comprehension when you look at it from a normal normal point of view, yeah. not from a spiritual point of view. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, I can I can see why he died because there's a lot more of me out there. Yeah, you know. <laughs> so yes. Um. And then a question that you had here, um, why did God send me down a road of suffering? And um, and that you've clearly pointed that out. You didn't choose to be orphaned. No. Um, you didn't choose to be in, in those situations that you found yourself. Obviously, throughout your life, there's been choices. But those early those early things in your life, uh, no. you didn't choose your parents. No. And your whole situation. Um, are you angry? I cannot, are you angry? Um, how do you get it right to still... Um, s- sort of love God or, or, or trust Him even though you've been through the suffering? I think because of the fact that the, reali- the realization that He's there mm. puts a certain amount of calm and trust within yourself. Mm. So the choices I made in life were the choices that I particularly made. So instead of turning left, I turned right, which is my choice. And at the end of the day, when this happened and I suddenly got this feeling of relaxation, you can't blame God for what has happened. But you can understand why he put you there. Mm. So I've learned a lot from nobody mm. but him. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, he's put me in that situation and said, right, well, either you're going to learn something or you're not. And out of each situation, if I go back in my life, there's certain things that I brought with me, which 
brings to understanding that he set your path for you. And there's a certain amount of tasks that you need to achieve before you get to, to him. And he's given me those tasks. And although it doesn't look like it, I've achieved a number of those. Oh, I'm not going to say I've achieved all of them yet, but I've certainly achieved a lot more yeah. than what I realized I achieved. Wow. And then you, you made a last statement. You said, um, it's time to honor him for the life I have lived, even though I don't agree with the life I have lived. Yeah, I, I think that's, you know, looking back, and I think this is human nature, that we nobody wants to live the life I've lived. And although people have lived worse lives than me and better lives than me, my life itself was a constant fight from day one. Mm. So who wants to live that life? Mm. You know? And at the end of the day, I, that's why you get confused. Because you say, well, why, why should I believe in it? But at the end of the day, looking at it realistically, you need to thank him for that. Mm. Because A, you're still here. B, you've learned all those things along the way. And C, even though it's taken a long time to get to where you are with him, mm. you've got there. Yeah. You know, yeah. so the realization might take longer. Mm. But now all of a sudden you've realized what it is. And yes, the only... I wouldn't say regret, but the only thing that I wish for, I suppose, in a, in a very minor way is that I'd learned that a long time ago. But that wasn't the path he set for me. This was the path he set for me. And I need to continue with this path. And I'm going to continue with this path. So that's the lesson he's taught me. And I've, I've now graduated from those lessons yeah. to a point where I now need to follow him and understand him a little bit more. So just the last thing, um, Tim, what... What would you say to a young person who at this moment is feeling like life is just against them and God doesn't care and, or whatever, he doesn't exist? What like advice would you give to a person like that? It's, it's a difficult one, but at the end of the day, I think two things or three things would be what I would try and instill in that person is A, trust in themselves, mm -hmm. trust in God, and trust in life because with those three combinations if you trust in those things you can make things work yeah. it's when you lose that trust yeah. that things go backwards so you need to have that faith you need to say okay god look this is the situation you put me in i'm not going to condemn you for that but i'm going to work at it to get myself to a better place and like i've said to you before is that he doesn't just slap the salary in your hand you have to work for it and that's the lesson with Christianity is that for me is that at the end of the day, I feel I need to work at that. Yeah. It's not just going to, he's not just going to come and say, okay, now you, you're okay. Yeah, yeah. You're still going to have to work for it and you're still yeah. going to have to understand him and, and, and thank him for what's happened. So God, God blesses what we do, yes. not what we don't do. No. So it brings effort in from our side. Yeah, it does. And the thing is, the more effort you put in, I wouldn't say it's, it doesn't become harder, it becomes easier. Mm. Things are hard to get there, but it becomes easier as you go along because you start understanding why he's doing it. Yeah. So, so from here forward, Tim, you are going to, are, are you planning on working on your relationship with God? You want to strengthen your faith? I do. Um, it's something that I know that I need um, because I've been weak in the past and I've got a lot of building up to do. Um, but yes, I need to, 
I need to get to know him. I need to get to understand him. And I need to get to understand the fact that he's put me here for a reason. And that reason will come clear when he decides to tell me. 100%. Tim, thank you, man. That's a pleasure. Thank it's you for having me. It's an honor meeting you. And I think uh, everybody that's listening will enjoy what you've had to say. I'm glad. Thank you. All right. Cheers, guys.